if I make the wrong move right now, I could, it could take my kids. If I retaliate in any way, this could put me in a bad situation. How do I get my kids out of the situation? How do I get my kids out of the situation? And the only thing I could think of was my kids. This is part two of my conversation with Bailey Ramirez. In this episode, she shares how she overcame adversity, having experienced abuse, rape, childhood trauma, starting over from nothing after leaving abuse, facing homelessness, and raising three children on her own, and how it allowed her to begin developing a course to help others overcome adversity too. If you haven't listened to the first part of the conversation, I urge you to stop this recording right now and go to part one of the conversation because without you listening to part one, you wouldn't understand the pain that she has gone through on this one. So let's cue the intro and jump straight into the conversation. So the big question is this. How is it possible that shy and socially awkward individuals like us can have the confidence to approach a stranger and strike a meaningful conversation? To have the ability to network and connect with yourself so that you can network and connect with others. To not only survive, but thrive in this noisy world and be the connector you're meant to be. And at the same time, be the truest, most authentic version of yourself. That's the question and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Ping Hendra and welcome to Network and Connect Podcast. Um, I didn't even care. He was telling me to leave and I was like, I'll go. Uh, and I was like, I don't have anywhere to go. And he kept saying, it sounds like a personal problem to me. And I was like, just give me Christine's number, my best friend. I was like, just give me Cheyenne's number, who's another one of my really good friends. And I was like, so I can call them and I can and I can have somewhere to go. Just, just please, like help me. And no one in the house would give me a phone to call 911. They were all his friends. Um, they were watching him for two hours. For two hours, they listened to him do this. And I couldn't get a phone to call the police. Um, so he, he, he wasn't the type to want to like take responsibility for them initially, especially my daughter. Um, so she had like a poopy diaper and she was crying. So eventually she needed to eat and she was exclusively breastfeeding at the time. So she was really, really hungry. And so he finally gave her to me. Um, and she had a full diaper and no shoes, nothing. So I had to go out and I had to walk around the neighborhood with a child with a dirty diaper and no shoes. And I knocked on every door. And in 2018, not one person had a phone that I could use. Um, Everyone was like, no. So I spent 45 minutes walking around this um, block, knocking on doors, asking to use people's phones. No one would let me use their phone. So I finally go back into the house. Um, and he had gone on a few rampages when I was gone through the house. And the owner of the house was talking to him at the time, trying to calm him down. Um, and my sons were in the room with the other girl. So they saw me and they like, and, and it was a relief. Um, but then he came back upstairs and, and he, and because I still wasn't rising to his bait, he wanted me to rise to his bait so bad. He comes and I was sitting on this couch just like this and he's standing in front of me and he comes right here and I'm just, I'm just looking down and trying to ignore him. He puts his hand on my head and he makes me look up at him and he goes and he goes you don't want to pay attention and he hawks back and spits a loogie in my face 
Uh, and then he goes, he goes, is that what you want? Is that what you want? And he hawks back and he spits another loogie in my face. And then he goes, yeah. And he wipes my face like this. And he just wipes my face. And then he hawks back and he spits another loogie in my face. And then he pushes my head and walks out of the room. And I'm just sitting there with this spit in my face. And I'm, I'm just like, and I like, and I wiped it off and, and they watched it. These people watched this happen to me. They watched it and did nothing. And so they wouldn't let me use the phone. So he, so again, he starts going on these rampages. This was going on for a while. And so then he finally, uh, he finally gives me the, cause he wanted me to leave the house. So he finally got so fed up with me being there that he wrote my best friend's um, phone number, my sister's phone number on a piece of paper and gave it to me. And so I convinced the girl to let me use the phone to call my best friend. And she was watching the kids. She had kids around the same age, so she was watching them. And so I got on the phone with my best friend while I was in the room and I walked out of the room when she wasn't paying attention. And I went downstairs and I told my best friend, I'm going to call you right back. I'm about to call the police. And I called the police very quietly and I let them know that what was going on and that if they could please send dispatch uh, an officer. And then I, I got off the phone with them and I got back on the phone with my best friend, went back upstairs and, and pr- ended the conversation that we had been having. Um, and then I just sat there and waited. Um, and so when the police finally came, um, my youngest son told, they, they, they at, took my statement, they, they took pictures of, of my bruises. And then um, they, they talked to my oldest son. And my oldest son was old enough at that point where he could explain what happened. And when the police officer asked him, he said, um, I thought my mommy, I thought my daddy was going to kill my mom and, and they had to arrest him. Um, and at that point in time, at that point in, in time, I wish I could say what that, what it felt like for the, for the very first time in my life, uh, I wasn't surrounded by abusers. I wasn't, I was, he was, he was in jail. Uh, I, I was able to, to get away. And, but there was this sense of, of this long, grueling cycle of pain um, ending. And it was, and I broke down crying. I broke down crying so hard. And my six-year-old walked up to me and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, mommy, it's time to go. And I said, yeah, baby. I was like, it's time to go. And so I called 211. I found a domestic violence shelter that did intake, and they scheduled me to be picked up at a location um, two days from the time that he was arrested. And I remember I took, man, I took out of almost 10 years of belongings, I had two bins full of clothing and jackets and shoes and four blankets and a little tub with our toiletries in it. Um, I left behind pictures, furniture, things that I, jewelry, shoes, clothes, all kinds of stuff that I had collected over the years in our relationship. And, and I remember sitting there and I was, um, I was in shock. Um, but I took all of this and as I was leaving the house, the owner of the house was like, 
he and I, I kind of was I was I felt dead inside I, I felt dead inside um I would I at this point in time I had experienced uh, nothing but a life of of pain of struggle and this was the climax of it um and so I as I'm waiting for this lift driver to get there to pick me up I'm going and wheeling my stuff outside and uh, the owner of the house as I'm walking out I'm kind of just like staring ahead like at this blank stare on my face and he's like you know no man should ever treat a woman like that and I don't condone that kind of behavior blah 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 and I was like funny I was like because when he was doing it you were pretty silent and I was like you didn't do anything and I was like so yeah and I just walked out um and, and and I and he, the guy took us to the location where they were going to pick us up because it was a shelter. They weren't allowed to disclose the location of it because of domestic violence purposes. So people's abusers can't find them, especially if they're being stalked or followed. Um, so they took me to the drop-off point where I was picked up by the shelter. And the shelter had these cottages it was out in the middle of nowhere and it was near a county jail um and there were these cottages on the compound and i remember i was kind of in this daze going through check-in going through taken my kids were there and i was in this this place and then they took me out to my cottage and um and there were these i went into the room and there were these metal beds they were like industrial bunk beds um, that were like bolted to the wall and they gave us these little like mesh homeless blankets that were really itchy really scratchy and I remember my my daughter was breastfeeding at the time and my boys were so scared they didn't know they they weren't scared because they were with mommy and they knew that were they it was I they were all they've always been with mommy they'd never been with anyone else and I was a stay-at-home mom um a lot and and they just have never known anything else for so their safety came from the fact that their feeling of safety came from the fact that they were with me but there was this was still a strange place so what I did was I took the the four blankets that I had and those two homeless blankets and I made this big padding on the floor and um, we all slept together but uh, I couldn't sleep this I was sitting in the middle of this room at you know two o'clock in the morning and my kids were sleeping and I remember sitting there and I was looking around me in this room and I was like how did I get here how did how did this happen and I looked at my kids and I was like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, I am so sorry that you have to go through all of this. And I felt, I was angry. I, I was so angry. I was so mad at the world. I was mad at everyone. And I remember just like, I wanted to scream into the dark at everyone, all of these faces that were floating up in front of me. And I wanted to scream at all of them. You were supposed to protect me. You were supposed to love me. You were supposed to, you were supposed to keep me from these things. And now look where I am. Look where I'm at. And none of you are anywhere to be found. Like you're nowhere to be found. And, and, and again, I felt that overwhelming sense of abandonment of loss of failure of all of these things and and i started writing i went out to the in this little 
dinky little kitchen and sat at this little table and I just started writing I because it was the only thing that saved me and I I promise you if it wasn't for my children that situation would have swallowed me whole it, it would have swallowed me whole I I didn't even know what to do and and I remember sitting there that night and this is where the beginning of my journey to who I am today I remember sitting there that night and I was, um, I made a decision. Um, and this is one of the biggest parts of my mindset mapping course that I teach people about when you come to that crossroads, we always have one choice. We only, oh, actually we always only are given two choices and two choices only. I could either let this situation become a reason why my life continues going down this path. Or I could choose to let this be a reason why I never allow myself to be in this position ever again. And from that moment on, I started changing the way I represented the situation to myself. Um, I started going to therapy. I got back in school, I got back in online school, and I started go doing my fitness again. I started doing an at-home online business of health and wellness coaching because I had started school earlier on for advanced personal training and exercise science when I, after I had my son, Jack. So I was using my education, and I remember sitting in this therapy session. We had group therapy, and we had to do art, and um, they made us do vision boards, and then we had to go around and talk about our vision boards, and everyone had really nice vision boards. You know, they wanted a house. They wanted a car. They wanted a marriage. They wanted a family, and they got to me in the circle, and I was like, I'm going to be famous one day, and the, the therapist was kind of like, she was like, uh, she was like, okay, well, you know, all right. And I was like, no, I'm serious. And I looked at everyone and I was like, each and every single one of you is going to know my name. You guys are going to hear it um, one day. And I was like, and this is just the beginning of that. And I became absolutely cutthroat determined um, to never, ever be in the situation that I was in again. And, um, and, and that wasn't even the end of the when I say that I got up to 2020. Uh, that was that was the beginning of my homelessness with three children. Um, and I was in that shelter until April of 2008. I was there. Yeah, I was there until April of 2018, February, March, April. Mm -hmm. And then after I got out, April 26th, I got out. Um, I had put my story out there. And one of my old classmates from a long time from middle school had, um, wrote to me and she's like, hey, you, you know, I, I've been there. Um, come and live. You know, you can come and live with, with us in, in our apartment. Um, so I went over there and I moved into the apartment with her. And uh, it became a pretty tense situation because it was a tiny little apartment. And my son um, has autism. So he kind of has like a, I don't want to say a behavioral issue, but a lot of people don't understand it. So, um, so we moved into this, this apartment and, um, and I started going to this, this job club. I didn't have a car. Um, so in order for me to keep my, to keep my, uh, benefits that I was getting from the state, which was the only way that I had any income for food stamps and for things like that, um, 
the only way for me to keep that was for me to participate in this job club. So I started walking to this job club every, every day. And every day I would listen to a motivational speaker like Lisa Nichols or Tony Robbins or, um, you know, Stephen Covey, Jim Rohn. I would start listening. I would listen to motivational talk every single day. And so from there, um, from there, I, I, it had to end up moving out of that friend's house and I moved into another friend's house who offered me uh, their guest bedroom and they lived in a, in, uh, in a better, in a, in a better area. So I went and I lived with them and then, and then I found a job uh, at an insurance company and that's when I started uh, becoming uh, pretty viciously sexually harassed by my manager um, who would uh, curse me out in front of the other coworkers. He would tell me to shut the up and every time that I rejected his advances and he would grab my butt he would like actually outright ask me if he could have sex with me um, and when I reported him um, he did lose his job but he created quite a few panic attacks and that work environment became extremely toxic and then <laughs> I ended up having to leave that friend's house and her father-in-law had a, in a house that he was living in. And this is where things kind of got worse. 2019 ended up being one of the most challenging years I ever experienced in my life. Um, because I moved into this, this, this house, this guy said he was like, Oh no, I'll help you. You know, um, the girl that I was living with, um, she was, she was had a father-in-law and, and his his house was empty he was living in, in long beach with his girlfriend and so he was like my house is empty you and the kids will probably will be the only ones there and and things really got kind of like went south from there so like my job i ended up losing that job um and I, I was able to get a car when i got that job so at least i had a car and i started going to school at paul mitchell um for barbering i'm a barber um uh, and uh i started living in this house and he agreed to give us these rooms for 200 each it was 400 a month somehow i ended up paying 800 he they really took advantage of me um but uh, i moved in and this house was absolutely filthy he had not been there in over nine months and his food from the last time he was in the house was still sitting on the tv tray in, in front of the, it was disgusting it was absolutely disgusting um and it took me three weeks to make that house livable um and so once i did though um his family started uh becoming very almost just aggressively nosy about me like they would show up at the house when i was gone and they would take pictures of my things and um and the girl that i had just moved from she was a classmate but um this man, this grown man had her like handling things for him. And when I lived with her, she didn't, we didn't have any issues. So I have no idea where this whole entire narrative of me taking advantage of her, her father-in-law came from. But when I got in a car accident, I had to stop going to school. Um, my car was totaled. I didn't have a car all of a sudden. And I could only pay $500, $550 of the rent in July um, of 2019. And I told them I could only pay $550, which only left me with $300 to get through the rest of the, the month um, with my kids. And so when that happened, that was still $150 more than what we originally agreed on. Um, but somehow it got to $800 and I don't know how. So the family started becoming 
irate because I didn't pay the other $300. I paid $550 to them, which is a lot for a single mom living in the most expensive state in the United States. Um, and so they started doing things. He took the Wi-Fi. He took the thermostat and it was in the middle of summer. It was in July. It gets to a hundred and something degrees. So me and my kids were living in that house with no thermostat, which is illegal to do by the way. And, um, so then he had my, his daughter-in-law's best friend come in and she served me this three-day notice to vacate, which she wasn't legally allowed to do. You have to file that and, and the court has to send it to you. So what they were doing was really, it was wrong. Um, and so what I didn't know is that same day they called Child Protective Services to report me for child abuse um, to try and get me out of the house. So they tried to get my children taken from me because I exercised my right as a tenant to pretty much tell them that it's none of their business and that it was between me and the landlord and that those legal proceedings would definitely have to take place um, at that time. But I had paid more than 25% of my rent, so he had no right to to evict me. Um, and that's what he was trying to do was forcibly evict me. He took, uh, the locks and he turned them around so that I couldn't get into the house. Um, with my kids I actually had to hop the fence and open my, and, and climb through my window and, um, open the door for my kids. I had to leave them standing at the front door, um, so that I could go in through my window and open the door. Um, so then after this happens, I go, I, I come home from a line and I was always on the move at school, trying to make things happen, trying to make ends meet, go, go, go. Like I was up at 4am. My kids were out the door with the daycare. Um, and then I wouldn't get back until 11 o'clock. And sometimes I would fall asleep fully clothed. I would forget to take my shoes off. That's how exhausted I was. Um, every single day doing it all by myself with three kids and their dad was not in their life at this time. Um, he was off living his life, doing his own thing. Uh, and then, and then, so one night I come home, I get home with the kids and it was a relatively early night. I walk in and, and he's sitting there and I didn't think anything of it, but so, so I made dinner for my kids and I go and I get in the shower and I get out of the shower. I get dressed and, and I come out and, um, his whole family, his entire family was in there and they were taking everything they took the washer, the dryer, the refrigerator. They left $500 worth of food on the floor to putrefy. Um, the, they took everything, the beds in the rooms, they took everything. Um, and, uh, and I remember going out and again, I came to this crossroads, which is why I developed what I developed because it teaches people how to confront these things. Um, and I remember I came out and I had, one of two choices. I knew what they were trying to do. They kept perpetuating this narrative of me that wasn't true. And so far they had not been able to pull me out of character. They had not been able to get a reaction out of me the same way that my stepfather was not able to get a reaction out of me that he wanted the same way that my ex-husband was not able to get the reaction that he wanted out of me because their mistake was thinking that because I was quiet meant that I was stupid. And that was not the case. So I remember going into my room that they had completely trashed, um, by the way. And I sat there on my pile of stuff and I crossed my arms like this. And I was like, what are they expecting me to do right now? 
And I was like, let me think about what's going to happen because the old Bailey would have definitely cussed every single last one of these people out. And I probably would have gotten a fight. That's the old me. The old me would have, would have went hand. And you could tell these people were expecting me to react like that. The look on their face was very smug. It was very like, yeah, yeah, do something. I dare you. They were looking for a reason to do more than what they were already doing. And so I told myself, I was like, I can make this situation way worse if I react one way. And I was like, or, or I could prove to myself and I could prove to them that I'm not who they say I am. And so what did I do? I got up and I went out and I helped them. And I was like, I went out and I helped them move everything. I said, do you guys need help? And I, and, and they were so confused. They were so confused. When they say kill them with kindness, it's a real thing. It's an actual thing. I went out and I told, I was like, do you need help with this? I was like, she's like, we, uh, we need trash bags. And I was like, okay. I was like, I have some trash bags over here. I'll go get them. Hold on a second. And I went and I got them and I brought, and I was like, oh, I have these freezer bags. Cause that's what I would use. I would have to walk. I walked everywhere because I didn't have a car. So I pushed my kids for miles and miles and miles with groceries in these freezer bags so that the food wouldn't de-thaw de too long before we got home. Um, and, and, and so they were really confused. Cause what are you going to do? You're going to be mean to me when I'm being super overly helpful to you. I help them move furniture. I help them do everything. And I was like, is that everything? Do you guys need help with anything else? Like, and, and, and it got to a point where some of the family felt so bad because they all came with their guns loaded. They were, they were ready for a, they were ready for a fight. Um, and instead what they got was an extremely helpful person and, and, and they were completely disarmed by that fact. Um, so, so, um, I remember sitting in my room and I was just like, I felt good about myself because at the end of the day, I did not allow these people to take me out of character. But as I was sitting there, I was reading my personal development book called Unlimited Power by Tony Robbins, which uses neurolinguistic programming. Um, and that's how I was really able to put myself in a different, more resourceful state of mind um, where I was able to realize a different way out of my situation. And one of the sons comes in and he was like, hey, um, uh, and he's one of the ones that has one of the worst attitudes. And he came in and he was like, you know, uh, I feel really bad that all of this is happening to you. And he was like, some of them started feeling really bad. And then he was like, I I'm so sorry. He was like, I, I convinced them to let you keep the dresser. Cause like you guys don't need to have your stuff on the floor. Like that's, that's not cool. Like I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. And so all the boys came and they helped move the, the dresser back in. And that was validation for me that, that what I was doing, it's, these people knew what they were doing was wrong. They knew what they were doing was wrong. And they knew what they did was wrong. Because after that, the the boys, the if the family, they started offering me like, they were like, do you need help with daycare? Like, what do you need any money? Like, can, can we help you? Whereas before they were totally on their, their, their father's side. And, um, you know, they painted this picture of me being this monster that I wasn't, um, because I didn't pay $300 of rent. Um, and, but I paid 550. So they vilified me. Um, and I didn't even find out until later that they, um, called child protective services on me falsely accusing me of child abuse after everything that my children have been through after everything that I've been through. It's one thing to mess with me. I can take it. But to put my children in danger of losing me and, and, and of losing each other and, 
and going into the system, like the fact that you would put my children in to swallow that anger and to still treat these people with the dignity that they were denying me was one of the hardest things I ever did in my life. It was the hardest things I ever did in my life. And so I remember I had a roommate at the time and he helped me clean up the house. And I remember crying to him and I was like, I'm not going to let these people destroy me. I was like, I did not come this far to come this far. And I was like, if they want to judge me and they want to say the things that they want to say about me, that is totally fine. Um, but what they're not going to do is they're not going to deter me. They are not going to stop me. I said I was going to become somebody and God damn it, I'm going to become somebody whether they try to do this or not. And I, I had that conviction. And so, um, I told my dad what happened. He bought me a mini refrigerator uh, and I was, I threw out all that food and I was able to go and at least buy my kids and I at least every single week, a week's worth of food that, you know, milk, bread, eggs, um, butter, that type of stuff. And I got microwavable stuff cause we still had a microwave. Um, and, and every time those people came to the house again, expecting me to be this bitter person, I was very nice, very cordial. Hi, how are you? Good to see you. Um, and I just minded my business. I went out every single day and I acted like none of this was happening. And then I got a phone call from Child Protective Services. They were doing an investigation. They told them the craziest things. They said that I was leaving my kids at home alone at night, that I was that just all kinds of stuff. And then they interviewed all of these people who were like, I've never seen any of that. They ended up not even opening a case because there was just no one, no one that they mentioned, no one that they interviewed said anything about me. Um, being a bad parent, like I just, I didn't go through all of that abuse to be that unaware of my children. And I certainly am not over here repeating any of those cycles um, of abuse. Like that's, I remember being a, a child, I could never do that to my kids. And so I remember the lady calling and I was sitting at the table and I couldn't believe that that was happening. Um, and so finally I, I had a day where I broke, I completely broke down on the phone to my friend and the landlord comes in and he grabs me by the arm. Like he picked me up and he was like, come here, took me out into the garage and started having this conversation with me. And, and at this point in time, I was really fed up. I was extremely fed up. So my best friend actually was driving by the house and she came in to check on me and he was, he was like, you know, uh, I, I just want to know, you know, or when are you going to pay this, this rent? Because my, my wife and, th and this person and that person, he started naming all these people who were in his ear and, and your, and your ex-husband told me some crazy things about you that blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, I was like, so that's why your family thinks that I'm this person because my ex-husband figured out how to get in your ear about me. And so all of a sudden things started making sense. And I, that's is when I, I realized that using my voice at this point in time was like, you can only let people walk all over you for a certain amount of time before you actually have to put them in their place. Um, and you can be as peaceful as you want to. Um, but there comes a point in time where you actually have to put your foot down. And, and I did. And my best friend walked in right before I started. I was like, actually, I told him, I was like, and I was like, you know, I have something to say about that. He was like, well, well, I'm not done. I was like, no, 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 no. And I was like, because you always talk. 
I was like, you talk. And I was like, and your, your family talks. And I was like, and you know what? I haven't said anything up until this point, but you're going to hear me today. And right at that point, my best friend walked in and she was like, oh, cause she just came by to check on me. Um, and I was, and she was like, oh, she's like, do you want me to leave? And I was like, no, I was like, I need you to stay here for this because I need someone to witness this. And I turned around and I must've gave him like three quarters of my mind. I was like, your family. I was like, you, your daughter-in-law. I was like, your whole nosy ass family. I was like, I have been nothing but thankful for the help that you have given me. But the fact that you hold, that you helped me over my head as a means to keep me silent and keep me not uh, acknowledging and addressing the way that you have treated me. You have treated me like dirt, like less than dirt. I work too hard. I work too hard. I am not your housemaid. I am not your, you are sitting here talking to me as if the state of this house wasn't like, like your house was this immaculate. It took me three weeks to get this house livable. The toilet didn't even flush when I came in here and you didn't even fix it. I had to fix it after, after six weeks of telling you, you did nothing about it. And, and so I, I just went in and so he picked up his phone and he, he called his family. He was like, she, she's not listening, blah, blah, blah. You guys need to come. And I was like, who are you calling? And, and he was like, don't worry about that. So I got on the phone and I called the police. Um, and I was like, my landlord is trying to forcefully remove me from the home. He has called his family to come and um, actually harm me. Um, and so the police came. Uh, and when his family, his daughter-in-law, her best friend and her best friend's mom and whoever else they had in the car planning on coming through, um, the police got there before them. And so, um, when we were outside, they drove by and I saw the car drove drive by and, and they knew once that once the police were there, none of them, none of them came. The daughter-in-law actually was dropped off down the street and she walked up to the house. What's going on here? She's the same age as me. She's the exact same age as me, but she likes to act like a, like the eternal mother figure. No one can tell her anything. She knows all and she knows better than all. And uh, she's very pretentious. So she, she starts asking, well, can we make her stay in her room? Because I mean, she didn't pay rent. And the police were like, no, you cannot make her stay in her room. Welcome to California. Tenants have more rights than landlords. And come to find out that my landlord, that wasn't even his house. He was renting from somebody else. So he was illegally subleasing to me. Um, once he found out that he could get in a lot of trouble for illegally subleasing to me, he was extremely quiet. And they were like, you know, we could definitely take this and, and you guys can make it a civil suit, but we will have to inform the landlord. And he was in good standing with the landlord. So when he realized that his house was jeopardized because uh, he was illegally subleasing to me, um, he was real, um, he had a lot of act right in his system all of a sudden. Um, and so he was like, you're not allowed to lock her out. Actually, you guys taking the thermostat and taking those types of things, um, the refrigerator and not allowing this space to be livable is illegal and you can go to jail for that. Uh, and, and so they were knocked down a few pegs because what they were trying to do was forcefully remove me and, what, and it's illegal in the state of California to do that. So uh, to, to retaliate against um, a tenant, you can't do that. So um, so it, once they, they did that and he didn't change the locks or anything like that. He kept everything exactly the way it was. They didn't put anything back, but he didn't try to lock me out of the house either. So I left that day. And, um, and so I was, I was feeling helpless. I, but I, again, I, I made this decision and I was like, I'm going to figure this out. So through the shelter, I joined this program that finally placed me at a job with Goodwill for 300 hours. 
And uh, so I had a temporary position and I was walking to work every single day, miles and miles and miles. And I had every reason to be depressed. I had every reason to be, to look at my life and be like, again, another situation, another this, another that. But I didn't. I was at that Goodwill and it was at a really really bad area that my first day someone pooped in the, in the dressing room. Um, because a lot of homeless people go in there. It is, it's not, it's not in a good area. Um, and a lot of the people there are like recovering drug addicts and, and it was just a really, just not a great place to work. Um, and, and I just kept telling myself, I don't belong here. I don't belong here. This isn't it. I didn't come this far just to come this far. So two weeks into the program, I, I took a day off of work and I told myself, I was like, I'm going to find a job today. I'm going to find a permanent placement today. I went and I, I updated my resume on my phone. I sent it to Staples. I got 16 th- copies printed out and I went and I got a job at a restaurant that same day. I went in and I applied for every single job that I could think of, um, restaurants, every restaurant. And I got hired at a restaurant called El Torito. Um, that very same day, it was amazing. The manager was like, okay, yeah, we're hiring. Uh, come back tomorrow after you fill out the application. I went next door. I filled out the application. I came right back and I was like, I did it. And he, and he was like, okay. He was like, well, awesome. Can you come in for a, uh, interview? Um, can you come in for an interview at, at three thirty or four o'clock? And I was like, yeah, it was like an hour and a half. So I went over to the mall, sat down, um, started, uh, uh, doing some, some personal development. And then I went back for the interview. Um, and I got the job that day. So I, I got to quit Goodwill. I was working at a serving position where I was walking out every night with tips and I was able to move out of that house in, on August 25th. And that still wasn't even, I went, I finally moved into another house in a nicer part of town that was closer to my job. But I ended up moving in with, um, drug addicts and, um, and, uh, yeah, they, they, they had some issues. There was another barber that lived in there, another family with three other kids that lived. It was a pretty big house. Um, the landlord and I became really good friends. He, he's about, he was a little bit younger than me, but he was really cool. Um, he's still actually one of my good friends today. One of the situation, it's funny because I ended up being in the exact same situation without a fridge, without a washer, without a dryer and without electricity this time, um, in October. And, and he was also illegally subleasing. So the, the owner found out, uh, because there was uh, police being called to the house because the two other, uh, roommates that I lived with were recovering drug addicts and they lapsed. One of the, the girl, the sister came in and she started tearing. I came home from work one day and she was going through my room and she was like, I lost my cocaine in my room. And I was like, I have three children. What do you mean you lost your coke? Why is there, there's six children in this house. There was another set of three children in the house with another family that was renting the room on the other side of me. And I was livid. I was like, it's one thing. And this girl was pregnant with twins, this girl who was looking for her cocaine. Um, so this was like really crazy situation that I found myself in. And then the family on the other side of me was that we were all responsible for different bills. They were responsible for the electricity bill. So I was the only one who was paying the rent on time. So not only did none of them pay the rent, which then the landlord came and told me, he was like, I'm going to have to get rid of the house. So even I'm leaving. So you're going to have to find a place to go. Uh, the other family, they moved and then didn't pay the electricity. 
And then the landlord left. So everyone left and I was alone in this big house with no electricity. He took all of his appliances. So I didn't have a washer. I didn't have a dryer. I didn't have a refrigerator again. Um, and, and I was living in a house. I had to go to the store. I had to buy these flashlights um, so that when it got dark, uh, me and my kids could have light. Uh, these portable, like little, uh, they were battery operated, like super bright. So I've got like eight of them and I just put them all around the room um, and I would turn them on. And then I had my hotspot on my phone because I had T-Mobile. Um, and, and I would, we would watch movies on my laptop and and um, I was like, what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do? Um, and uh, the, the landlord came in and he was like, you have to leave on October, no later than October 5th. So I had to get a U-Haul. I had to go to the state department and I had to sign up for the homeless program. And I moved my kids and I into a motel uh, in a really bad part of town. And I had all of my shit with me again. And I, uh, at this point in time, their dad had come back into their life. And, um, and I remember he went, they went to the, his house for the weekend, for his weekend. And I was sitting in the, the, the bed of the hotel room and, um, my stuff was just piled up around me, roaches here and there. Um, and I was just like, I, I was like, I came to that crossroads and I had one of two choices and I got up and I went and I looked at myself in the mirror and I looked at myself dead in the eyes. And I was like, Bailey, I was like, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. You can get into an apartment. I, I had one job already and I was like, I have one of two choices. And I was like, I can, I'm on the edge right now and I can let this situation swallow me whole. But I have air in my lungs. I've got two feet and a way to get places that I need to go in. And what do I know how to do? I know how to make shit happen. <laughs> I don't know how, but my whole life, one thing that I've proven to myself over and over again is that I know how to make shit happen. And for all the resources that I lacked, I knew that one thing. And I held on to that knowledge for dear life. And what did I do? I updated my resume. I went to Staples. I printed it out. And I told myself, I need to get two more jobs. Because in California, you have to qualify for three times the rent in order to get an apartment. Um, and so I was like, so what do I need to do? I need to get another job. So instead of sitting there and thinking about everything that I wasn't or everything that I didn't have or all the things that were hard, I started telling myself, I said, you know what, since I'm choosing not to be homeless, the only other choice that I have is to work. And I'm going to have to work harder than I've worked in my life to get out of this place. And so I went out that day and I got two more jobs because it was close to Thanksgiving time. And this was the very first Thanksgiving that I spent my hotel room surrounded by nobody. And I uh, had nothing. And I was actually the most grateful uh, that I had ever been in my entire life because I wasn't sleeping on the street. And I had successfully managed to keep me and my kids off the street. So I got a job at Victoria's Secret and at Journeys and I would wake up at 3 a.m. My kids would get picked up at 3.15. I would get ready for work and I would Uber to work um, and I would work from 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. Um, I would work all my, my jobs part-time and then I would go, I would Uber back to the hotel and then I would nap 
um, at, for like 45 minutes because I was exhausted all the time. And then I would get up and I would get ready and I would go back to the mall and I would work at Journeys from 12 to about three o'clock um, or 11 to three. Yeah, about, no, sorry, 12, yeah, 12 to three uh, or sometimes four. And then I would go back to the hotel, nap, and then I would go back to the mall area because the, the restaurant I worked at was in the same parking lot as the mall. So I would go back to, to my restaurant and I would work from five to close, sometimes till midnight. Um, and then my kids would be dropped off by the daycare. We would sleep and I would wash, rinse, repeat every single day every single day, day in and day out. I was working three jobs and I could have easily been like, you know, I got to work three jobs, but I was grateful. I was so grateful for the fact that I was even able to have one job, let alone three that allowed me to afford the very apartment that I'm sitting in, the very first apartment that I've ever had on my own that nobody could take from me. Nobody could pull the rug out from under my feet. Nothing could happen to me. And so I finally after a month of living in, in apartment in sorry, in hotels, spending my first holiday season ever alone by myself with nothing, I got my first apartment. And that was in December of 2019. And I had nothing when I moved in here. And now it is fully furnished. And my mother lives with me and we've been able to repair a great deal of our relationship, um, a great deal of our relationship. Um, and that's another thing that I really go through in my mindset mapping course is, is healing the past trauma, what forgiveness means, what it stands for. And that's when I started uh, developing, um, developing this course. And I had a couple of really rough uh, jobs, but now, now after this long life of back to back to back to back to back heartache and trauma, I have successfully been able to step into my role as a model, even though I have vitiligo and uh, a skin condition that naturally makes people, uh, discount their ability to be in the spotlight. I'm a 30-year-old woman with three children um, who, you know, society today tells has no business being in the modeling industry. Um, yet here I am, a successful model, because I've proven to myself that I can do whatever I want to do. As long as I have the presence of mind and the wherewithal to do it. Um, and all I need to do is look at my choices. And so that's what brings me to what I do now. I'm a professional model. I just landed my first target ad by myself with no representation. Um, and I became an activist. Um, I started really speaking out about Black Lives Matter um, and things of that nature. I, uh, I have now become successfully a life coach, a mentor, um, and I developed Project Mindset. And um, Project Mindset is the beautiful love child of uh, my traumatic past and who I've been able to find in myself um, and of myself. And uh, that's, that's my whole story. <laughs> that is my whole story. Wow. Uh, incredible. You know, by you sharing your story, I, I, 
I have never written four pages of notes wow. of your story. It's it's incredible. I have major goosebumps. I I I shed tears together with you earlier. Um, the things that you've gone through and the things that you've experienced along the way made you stronger than ever. You know, I'm very confident that when this podcast gets out, have your children to listen to the story and they will be blown away by your tenacity, your incredible, your, your fortitude, your mental fortitude. It says that nothing can stop me, even though things have happened. Like you said, you have two choices. Either you let nature run its course or you swim against the tide. Yeah. And you did that and this is what's happening. And, and look around you. This is what you have built. The, the, you have your own apartment and nothing can take anything away from you. Yeah. And you said it and you put yourself on the, on the vision board. You said, right? You'll be famous one day and everybody will know your name. And I'm very sure that when your modeling career takes off, I think it'll be tremendous. And what I'm going to do is I will uh, have this transcribed. Uh, the story that you, you share with me, I will have it transcribed and I will then email to you word by word. And that can be a book. I'm very sure that, yes. can, be, that can be a book that, that will touch thousands of lives of what you've gone through and how it will, uh, it makes people think differently. Wow, she has gone through all this in her life and with three children and with the children have to experience and really see what you, how bad you were treated by your ex-husband, by your stepfather and, and they have to experience it and the journey that, she, that they went through together with you. Being homeless, um, being you know harassed by your by the landlord and things like that. Wow! Can you tell us more about Project Mindset, what you have created, and, and if people would like to work with you, what will they get from Project Mindset? Um, Project Mindset is this uh, really beautiful uh, concept that I came up with. I read a lot about neurolinguistic programming, which is something that Tony Robbins uses. And um, when I was um, when I was going through what I was going through, I used a lot of visualization. So, what Project Mindset is is it helps people to understand. Um, so, basically, in the beginning of the course, what we do is we look at our emotional terrain as like a map. So every time we go through something, right, what we do is we enter into what we represent in our minds as our panic room. Um, this is where we go. This is our strategy room to locate where we are. If you ever go into like a mall and you see like a mall directory and it says you are here and we identify where we're at because one of the most important things with Project Mindset that we teach people is to come into self. So where are we? How do I feel right now? What is going on around me? What is the current situation on the outside? Am I honoring my emotions right now? And the most important thing to do is to first and foremost, honor your emotions. 
if you're feeling frustrated, if you're feeling angry, if you're feeling sad, depressed. These are all important things, not just to acknowledge, but to allow yourself to feel. Because oftentimes when we don't allow ourselves to feel those things, we end up harboring them and and keeping them holding them on the inside i'm sorry they just came home um, so so with project mindset what we really go in and we teach people what i teach people how to do is to take their mind and turn it into a map and it says okay you are here if if i'm here and the goal is to get here what do i need to do um and feeling your emotions is not the same as acting out of your emotions. So not only do we address how we approach um, honoring our emotions, but we also utilize self-love, self-care, um, utilizing journaling. With, pro with Project Mindset, we really go back and we address a lot of things. So there's a lot of uh, belief systems that we've created about ourselves um, based on trauma, based on past experiences. Um, and, and we create these... Um, uh, these truths, these truths about what we're capable of um, because of, of this thing or that thing. And, and a lot of the time people say, well, I'm this way because of this. And I'm this way because of that. Um, and in Project Mindset, what we come to realize is just how untrue those things are. Um, they are things that happen to us, but it's not who we are. I am not my pain. I am not my trauma. I am not the people who hurt me. Those things happened to me, but they are not me. And so what we really work through, what we move through is these tools in the very beginning that help us not only identify our blocks and our challenges, but then it gives us the actual tools to move through it. Because what I realized, I was like, there's, there's a plethora of information out there, right? You can pick up a book and you can read a personal development book, but what's missing? Like I started to ask myself, what's the thing that's missing? What's the key thing? And it's a place um, to practice. When you have a basketball player, right? They practice before they play. They have a place where they go and they practice these tools. They practice these things um, in, in a safe space, in an environment that's designed to optimize their skill set as basketball players before they go out into the real court and play the actual game for a real like winning or losing situation. And so when we think about life in that way, we think about the ways that people do not practice before they play. And not only that, you can give somebody a personal development book, but unless they have the right environment to um, create and to develop that mindset, you could give someone that and they could be in a toxic environment with people who are always complaining. How do you implement those things in an environment like that with somebody who's so new to the idea of mindset? And that's even what I noticed as a fitness instructor. So I've taken knowledge from the last 10 years of my life as a leader, as a coach in sales, um, having read several different personal development books, and and also using my experiences to to develop this very unique course that is that not only helps people and gives people these tools, but it gives you the ideal environment to 
to uh, cultivate that garden of the mind. Um, and it's very, very important. Young minds, that journey without the right environment, you can't cultivate those plants the right way. And those are seeds, mindset. They're seeds that are planted that grow eventually into into that. So I consider myself a gardener and I want to teach people how to be the gardeners of their own minds and how to master their own minds. So it's a six week intensive course um, and we, we get those tools and we get that environment. So it's really, really, really important. And that so. is something that I am also, I'm a practitioner of NLP as well. And in 2017, life wasn't great for me. Right. And I have to do whatever it takes to, to get out of my own situation, even though it's not as crazy as yours. And on the 1st of January 2019, my friend sent me a journal. So we are similar in a way. So I, I, I have it framed and I took picture of it. So this is the, the, uh, the, my ultimate goal, right? And I wrote down. Okay. Moved to Bali with my family by December 2019. I wrote it here. Oh, nice. And here I am in Bali right now. Oh. Yeah, and and I, I moved, I flew here on the last month of November 2019. And my wife and my son followed me to Bali in December 2019. I've been living here since. So, oh, wow. you know, all this uh, visualization, uh, vision board, things of that nature, and loss of attraction, I truly believe in it. Yes. And and I also doing this to help people with forgiveness. Uh, I call it baggage release. And I've helped so many people on that already as well. And whatever that you're doing right now, this one with uh, Project Mindset, I think it will help so many people. And send me the links so that I can put it in the description. Absolutely. And I think this will be very, very helpful for people. Yes, yes. I truly believe that. And yes. I want you to do me a favor because I understand right now it's uh, your, your children is here already and I think they need you. So please hug them after this call and really hug them. And, you know, because you shared a lot of your experiences and I think that hug will, will help not only yourself, but help them as well to show them that you are the strong mother that they have in, in their life. And I think that will be amazing yes. for you. Absolutely. And thank you so much for giving me the space to tell my story. Um, it's interesting to hear it retold uh, yeah. when living it the whole time. It's kind of like, whoa, I, you know, so I really, really appreciate you giving me this outlet to, to share and to be able to impact more lives with it. So I really, really appreciate that. Yeah, and I want to thank you so much though for coming. Even though back in the, I mean, you know, the past couple of weeks, it's been oh my goodness, like time difference and and miscommunications here and there. Now that I uh, you share your story, I understand like the miscommunication happened. I mean, because of uh, family commitments, children, and I fully understand what happened. And I'm I'm incredibly grateful and thankful that the universe does its job to make us connected in a way and for you to be able to share your story to us and uh, and you are so candidly open and you show all your emotions and that is something that i truly appreciate you for that thank you so much for everything 
Yes, thank you so much. This was amazing. It was really great connecting with you. And I, I can't wait to send you all the information for my course. And, and uh, I definitely can't wait to, to hear this recording. It's going to yes. be really if, if someone would like to, you know, after listening to your story, if they feel connected to you in a way and they want to reach out to you, they want to maybe say hello or they want to thank you, how can they do that? There's plenty of ways. My, one of the biggest ways that I connect with people is through my Instagram, um, which is queen.bay. And then also uh, I do have something called an OnlyFans, but it's just for my body of modeling work. Um, so that's where I go and post my professional pictures and things where people can go and um, they can actually message me back and forth. They can leave tips on some of my pictures that they, that are my picture sets, my professional photography shoots that they would usually find in magazines or something um, where they can go and subscribe as, as uh, for my art, but they can also reach me via email um, too. So I can, uh, I think you have that information. So those are the three biggest, easiest ways to get a hold of me. Um, and, and I'm so happy to talk. I love hearing stories. I love connecting with people. I'm such a people person. So, um, the minute that somebody reaches out to me, I'm always like, Oh my God, I love your story. Thank you. Ah. So, you know, I love meeting new people. So yes, absolutely. Those are the three ways uh, to connect with me the best. Great. And I will also put that in the description, um, her Instagram links. And if this inspires you, if her story touches you or if you have something going on at the moment perhaps with uh, um, some kind of uh, domestic uh, violence or if you have some experience on that and you want to ask her for support for just suggestions or for any any kinds of you know help she'll be present um, you know so that's also something if someone doesn't want to be in a group setting because it's too private I do offer one-on-one um, -on -one life coaching also so um, if someone is really in dire need of that service that is something that I'm developing in tandem with my group courses great actually I have so many more questions if you notice on I me mean, all the circles and all the squares uh, we will have a follow-up after this because I understand um, you know go hug our children <laughs> okay. perfect it great. sounds so good thank you so much Pingo it's great to meet you thank, thank you, you so much Bailey thank you for everything your story is wow it's incredible and thank goodness everything is fine now yeah and I hope that uh, going forward it'll be a smooth journey and and it will be better and better and better and better all the way until everybody knows your name Yes, yes, it will. It will. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I'm going to go hug my babies now. Okay. So if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast so that you will be notified whenever new episodes airs. If you have any questions or feedback, or if you know someone with amazing stories to share, please send an email to hello at networkandconnect.com and I will be more than happy to connect with you. If you find this podcast helpful, please share it to your friend as well. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening and I'm looking forward to the next one. Cheers. Bye-bye.